Welcome to the Unknown Warrior podcast with Pete and Jason from Squeaky Pedal. Very happy to be joined by author Robert Newcomb today. So author of The Name Beneath the Stone, Secret of the Unknown Warrior, which is a novel that kind of delves into a lot of the story of how the Unknown Warrior came to be. Filling in a lot of gaps in fiction terms about kind of what maybe happened over different time periods and what would happen maybe if the unknown warrior was discovered or it could be discovered of this, the, the identity of him. So Robert, start us off then. So where did the where did the whole idea for this kind of come from? Then where did you learn about the story of the unknown warrior? Well, it was um, a number of years ago now. I was like most people, I suppose, knew there was an unknown warrior. I knew that he was buried in Westminster Abbey. But apart from that, I knew really very little about the unknown warrior, unknown, unknown soldier. And I read an article. It was originally in the Daily Telegraph, I believe, but I read it in the week. And um, it was a sort of two-page article. Uh, and it went through all the details, many of the details you've been covering in, the, uh, in your podcasts. And I was fascinated by it, really. It informed me an enormous amount. And uh, I thought there's there's two things here. One, that this was an extraordinary event, as we've been seeing in the last few days on the telly and such like. Um, so A, it was an extraordinary event, but B, the other thing that struck me was that here we have an extraordinary mystery, one of the sort of great mysteries of the uh, 20th century. I, I was writing a novel at the time, but uh, I, I thought there's there's a novel in here somewhere. And so I mulled around with various different ideas for a while and eventually came up with the plot for The Name Beneath the Stone. And then so where did you kind of start with your kind of research process? Obviously, like as we've discussed over various podcast episodes, there's a lot to kind of cover and a lot of intricacy and a lot of speculation, a lot of conjecture to kind of get kind of wade through. How did you kind of start the research process for that? And how do you kind of approach putting that into a novel? How do you get all that in historical information and all these people? How do you bring these to life as you find out the research as you go along? Well, unlike your other speakers, I'm not a historian. I'm a guy who writes books. So obviously the first thing I did, I, with the words unknown soldier, I went on the internet and found all sorts of articles. Uh, a lot of them, of course, uh, based around David Railton. Um, so I built up, a, I sort of had a folder, I built up various sort of articles. I then went into the Imperial War Museum. I saw, I sort of led into some little back office where they showed me the Pathé News clip. Uh, that we've been seeing on the telly over the last few days. And so I found out a bit more there and I came across various books, a very good one. I, I don't know if you know, Neil Hansen, The Unknown Soldier. That's very detailed. So I read all that. And in, in fact, in the first half of his book, he follows the stories of four soldiers, sort of echoing the four bodies that were picked up. And that, that was sort of in my mind of doing that in my novel. So that rather kibosh that plan. But uh, I, I'd sort of come up with a different idea at that stage. So I, I did all that to find out more about the unknown soldier. But the other thing I needed to find out about was, of course, the First World War. Again, not being a historian, my knowledge of the First World War was sort of went back to school days. I'd done it at O-level or GCSE, more modern equivalent. So I dug out my old books that I still had, sort of AJP Taylor, The First World War. And um, I, I also acquired, I've got a stack of about 20 books now, books about the First World War, because a lot of the story is based in 1917. And just some of the people, uh, Richard Holmes and Gary Sheffield, and then uh, Lynn MacDonald, they called it Passchendaele. Max Arthur, so I, you know, he, he, he did a lot from the 
perspective of the soldiers in the trenches. So I read some of his books. And, and the one that really struck me, I don't know if you know, is Her Private's We by Frederick Manning. He was a soldier in the First World War. He fought in the Somme. He was a writer. And after the war, a few years later, he actually wrote a novel. And he was the lead character in the novel. But it was written as a novel. But really, it was a sort of biography. A really, really powerful book. Um, Ernest Hemingway said he read it every year because it was the best book ever written about war. And that, in fact, that book gave me the, the sort of the atmosphere that I wanted to create in the trenches so quite a bit of the book i know jason you've read it quite a bit of the book it's not about just in the front line but also in reserves and and a lot of manning's book was about that so oh, and the final thing was my grandfather's diaries my grandfather was a major in the royal artillery in the first world war and he wrote diaries I came across them in my father's house and they were incredibly boring. They were totally factual. So a typical thing he'd write would be June the whatever, got up, had breakfast in the officer's mess, uh, met Major so-and-so, uh, inspected the guns, da -da -da, and sort of more detail. And at the end, the Fifth Army advanced and took 3,000 prisoners. Full stop. So there was absolutely no sort of emotion or anything. And, and it was those diaries I used as a basis for, as we'll talk about, Captain Peter Harding's diaries in the book. One of the strengths for me in the book was the fact that you did show, as you said, not only the front line and what the soldiers were going through in the trenches, but also the impact that their being away and being in serious danger had on their families and loved ones back home. And that then enabled you to explore the impact of that later on with the unknown warrior because you understood the context of these people you know looking after their loved ones how did you approach trying to sort of cover that emotion that was there that raw emotion because obviously we've we've kind of been studying the unknown warrior a little bit in in more sort of factual terms in this happened and that happened and trying to uncover evidence but obviously it's really important not to forget the important emotional connection that makes it so special yeah, well, one of the characters is a chap called George Latham, who's father of a young officer serving in the front. And I sort of based him on Kipling, really. Um, if you remember that quote of Kipling's, if they ask us how we died, tell them because their fathers lied. And that crops up a number of times in the book. Um, and, I, and and so I wanted that to, to, to come in as the... Uh, you know, this this man had encouraged his son to go to war and then felt terribly guilty uh, about what was happening. And, um, yeah, I I, I, th I thought it was important to do that. One of the central characters is, is someone called Joyce, whose fiancé is out actually fighting. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I haven't been through those circumstances myself, so I had to kind of imagine it. But uh, yeah, terrible, terrible. And of course, that's very relevant to the um, when we come to the burial of the unknown soldier, um, what they went through and not knowing what was happening much of the time. And your novel flits between a number of different times and dates. How did you go about trying to fit all of those together and weave this quite intricate story actually together? Yeah, well, with difficulty. I mean, I had a great big sheet of A3 paper and I had all the different sort of bits going on with lines drawn between them. Fundamentally, there were there, there are three stories. There's the modern story in this century, 2011, of Sarah Harding, who's a, a key character. And um, she finds love letters from a chap called Daniel. 
uh, serving in the trenches to her grandmother. Um, so she finds these love letters in, in a file as her father is dying. She speaks to her father and says, Dad, who is this chap Daniel writing to your mother? And her father, who's sort of very ill, not dying, um, just mentions the two words, unknown soldier, which is what sets her off on a long inquiry. And she involves a, a historian called James Marchant. And as the book progresses, so they think we've actually discovered who the unknown soldier is. Remember, this is fiction, but that's what they're thinking. And you can imagine the excitement of that and the drama of that. Uh, the second element of the story is this chap, Daniel Dawkins, and he's really the heart of the book, I would say. In fact, at one point, I called the book Daniel Dawkins. He's serving in the trenches in 1917 in a fictional regiment, the Berkshire Light Infantry. And so it, it follows, uh, a lot of the book follows that. And then the third is this character, Peter Harding, starts in 1920, which, of course, is a significant date. And he is involved in the whole project of finding a body, bringing it back to England to be buried in Westminster Abbey. So the three all sort of intersperse as I go through the book. And it was quite a juggling act so that the reader didn't know what was happening before it actually happened in the book, if you see what I mean. I can I can sympathise with that research process of you know just a massive sheet of A3 and just <laughs> trying to cro trying to join up timelines. We've been there. I feel your pain. Oh, I'm I'm sure you have. Yes, <laughs> and you 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 end up with paralysis by analysis, don't you? If you're not, <laughs> yeah, it's very true, very true. Yeah, and so thinking about that, the, the immense kind of secrecy that kind of went into choosing the body, as we've kind of discussed in previous episodes, and obviously that the important thing is is that the the job was. In, in reality, the job was done so well that no one will ever know, you know, the identity because it was, you know, it was such a secret operation and they did such a good job. But at the time there was, you know, as, as there is in your book, the speculation about who it could be. And, you know, you're kept guessing and, you know, throughout the book is there maybe do they find out who it is or do they not find out who it is? But in reality, though, there was speculation at the time, wasn't there? And, and since, you know, in the century since about potentially who it could be and, you know, names crop up, haven't they, Jason? There's always been kind of rumours and people that think we could join some dots together and work out who it might be. I heard at one point that a whole load of mothers actually dreamt that it was their son who was being buried uh, on November 11th. Yes, well, this is, of course, is a central part of the book, Could Someone Have Known? So this is where I move into the realms of fiction. And I keep waiting for guys like you to say to me, it's totally impossible what you've written, but no one has said so to me as yet. You know, I rather imagined, you know, being interviewed on telly. I don't know if years ago, uh, sort of when Monty Python produced The Life of Bran and there was Malcolm Muggeridge absolutely ranting about this book. And I think Michael Palin said, well, have you actually... Sorry, about the film, said, have you actually seen the film? He said, well, no, I don't need to. And I sort of rather imagine someone ranting at me and eventually I say, well, have you actually read the book and know what happens at the end? Um, but uh, yes, so I went round in circles thinking, how might someone have known? And so this is where we enter this chat, Captain Harding in 1920. Without giving too much away, he was in charge of one of the digging parties. Now that's a really interesting thing in that I don't know I don't know about you but the 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 one bit of information I haven't been able to identify is is who led those four digging parties or the sixth perhaps as referred to by Ken, uh, Reverend Kendall the key is those four digging parties 
And when Wyatt chooses one of the four bodies, that at the heart of it is if anybody knew, that's where it would be. So um, starting from that, I then wove, wove in this fictional narrative um, of, of Harding uh, finding something on one of the bodies, a photograph, and he was really pressed for time. You know, they had to be at St. Paul at a certain point, really pressed for time. He thought, I've just, there's no name on it. There's nothing on it. I will just hide that. And that was then the thing that led all the way through to him actually discovering who the unknown soldier and the unknown warrior was and, and, and a burden that he carried with him for the rest of his life. Uh, but but ultimately, as the story goes, he then sort of passes that information on. So I don't know what your perspective on that, whether you thought, well, that's absolutely impossible or whether you thought, well, I suppose that could have happened. One, one of the fascinating, most fascinating juxtapositions for me was the fact that the ambulance breaks down with Captain Harden in it on the way to exhume the bodies. And when we read the Cecil Smith letters where Cecil Smith is talking about taking the other soldiers that weren't selected as part of the Unknown Warrior to take them to the Albert Bapam Road. His ambulance breaks down as well. Yes, yeah. And so there's there's sort of a weird sort of, you know, reality sort of mirroring fiction going on there. And when I read that, I thought about the, the you know, the Cecil Smith letters and thinking that exact same thing happened, but with the bodies coming away from Sam Paul rather than them going to get them. Yeah, extraordinary. I mean, I heard that. Was it when you were talking to Mark in one of the podcasts? I think that's when I, I just heard it. Um, and I thought, blimey, that, that, that echoes what I, what I wrote. Extraordinary. Exactly, which is which is extraordinary. But like you say, it's a lot of the research that we've done is is more into what happened to the bodies that weren't selected, and obviously just naming some of the people that were involved. And I think one of the the greatest things for me was to be able to, as you said, you know, you saw the actual recreation of the process of the orders being passed, and then people like Captain Harder then going out and getting these bodies. And obviously, we've been reading about some of the people at San Paul, and you start placing some of those people in those roles, and it's fascinating to see it being brought to life rather than it being just names and faces on on photographs you you're seeing the operation being carried out by people and it and it's and it's coming to life uh, one of the the main characters that i found absolutely fascinating was was daniel dawkins he's got a really deep backstory he's deeply affected by both his past and what he's experiencing can you tell us a little bit more about him and where specific inspiration from him and his story came from the whole point, of course, of the unknown soldier is we don't know, you know, was it an officer, an NCO, a private? Was he a brave man? Was he a coward? Nobody will know what that is. So I, I started off thinking I want him to be a private soldier. Um, and, and soldier is a great word, isn't it? So we refer to the unknown warrior because that is inclusive of all the all the services, but the strong likelihood is it was a soldier. So I started off with that. And really his character developed as we went through. You, you know, you you asked me earlier how um how to approach recreating this important character. I wanted him to be a brave man. I wanted him to be a leader. I wanted him to be a bit of a rebel. And he is those various things. And and you mentioned the backstory. And so that sort of comes through as you go through the book. The, the other thing that I, I wanted to bring through was that this nihilism 
he had been fighting for a long time. You know, he was, he'd survived much longer than most people did. He'd actually survived the Somme. And he's developed this, this nihilism, this sort of death wish almost, this sense of he's seen so many of the soldiers around him die that he now just feels it's right for him to go right until the end. And his bravery almost comes from this desire to die, um, if you could put it that strongly. You know, he's very brave because he did not fear death right until towards the end of the book. And I think one of the characters at the end said, well, he was brave at the end. You often talk about bravery, and sometimes bravery comes from almost a lack of imagination. People just, you know, go for it. But when you when you fear being killed, and yet you still uh, go and do these things, that's a very powerful thing. And I think towards the end of the book, you've got Dawkins, who is it, it actually wants to live, and then continues to be incredibly bold and take take this action. So, so I wanted him. Ultimately, uh, as we'd like to think of the unknown soldier, to be a very brave, powerful sort of individual. And you've served in the army yourself. So, you know, and you're talking about their kind of bravery and and the emotions of being in action. How has that, your own personal experiences, played into these creation of the characters within the book? Yeah, well, I, um, it's going back a bit now, I joined the army and I went to Santos when I was 19, I think, joined my regiment when I was 20 and went straight out to Northern Ireland. And I had not had really any training in internal security work. And I joined a battalion of seasoned soldiers who'd done three months of training for that um, and fairly soon found myself commanding a platoon of soldiers. And I had a whole series, enormous cock-ups, frankly, <laughs> of where I kept getting it wrong. Um, if any of the soldiers from that era are listening, they'll probably be recall some of them. So as a young guy of 20, commanding platoon of, say, 30 soldiers, it was incredibly important, the relationship I had with my platoon sergeant, my corporals, and my private soldiers. And um, you do develop this extraordinary relationship, an officer and his soldiers, which is friendly, but at the same time, you know, they know that you could put them in jail. <laughs> I remember on the first night I arrived in Germany, one of the, you know, I met up with the soldiers in a bar and one, one of them was uh, was completely drunk. And he said about my predecessor, well, we call him Mick. What do you call, what do we call you? And I sort of, you know, me spotty 20 year old said, you call me, sir. And he probably thought I was a right sort of stuck up, Ponce or whatever. But uh, anyway, that's a relationship, but you become very friendly, but you've got this interesting relationship. So I tried to weave that in, in Dawkins' relationship with Lieutenant Latham. And Dawkins is very supportive of this officer as you go through. So that was kind of based upon uh, my experiences and knowledge of, of that sort of thing. You know, when any kind of history book or or novel kind of is written, it's, it's always kind of a quite sensitive you know, uh, war and emotions of war and bravery. It's always quite a sensitive subject to kind of get across in quite a, you know, an emotive and a, uh, you know, realistic way as well, isn't it? So how, is it kind of difficult to kind of mirror that in a, in a novel, in a sense, to kind of be sensitive, but also kind of be factual, but also kind of be, uh, also tell a story at the same time without kind of being sensationalist or being, you know, being, being an extremity of one or the other? Absolutely. And I have a horror of sentimentality. Yet I was trying to 
describe, you know, these intense emotions that you have on the battlefield. And as you mentioned earlier, people back at home and trying to do that without slipping into sentimentality, which is a very fine line, really. And probably some people will feel it, it you know, it does get a bit sentimental. But um, so it's trying to do that as you go through. I, I got very interested in sort of post-traumatic stress disorder a long time ago, so reading about the, the Vietnam War. And I remember watching a program where a, a Vietnam vet was discussing returning home afterwards. And uh, he said, it's as if the nerve endings on your fingers have been burnt off and you just can't feel anything. You, you're detached from everything around you. And that struck me. And so actually my, my, my first novel was about a, a soldier again, but re- returning home after traumatic experience and the effect that has on him and exactly that thing of not being able to come back and and experience life fully. And so Dawkins does return home on a couple of occasions to be with his girlfriend, fiance Joyce. And I try to sort of fit in that sense of um, detachment from his surroundings. And I have a scene where he sort of walks through Windsor and, you know, everyone wants to come up as they would because they see his short hair and his bronze face and they want to, to shake his hand and say, well done. And he, he just backs away from it. He can't really cope with this sort of normal human contact, I suppose. So I try, I try and weave that in throughout the book. And what sort of feedback are you getting to the book, especially as we're a pro, you know, we've, we've just covered the 100th anniversary of the burial of the Unknown War in Westminster Abbey. What what feedback have, have you had? I would say this, wouldn't I? But I've had some very positive feedback. I've had, you know, quite a few people have read it now and I, I get a few points. One, people say it's a bit of a page turner. You know, I've had people write to me who I don't know saying I started it on Saturday and I finished it on Sunday. You know, I just needed to know what's going on. So, so any novelist would say they want people to be turning the pages. So there, there's that aspect. Um, a sort of second aspect is people have said, yes, uh, it, it is an emotional book. Um, we kind of know what's going to happen to Daniel Dawkins, don't we, if I'm portraying him as the unknown soldier. So, But, but it, it still, for some people, comes as a bit of uh, a, a sort of a tearjerker almost at the end and also you know what goes on with some of his comrades um the third thing people are saying is that they have learned a lot about the burial of the unknown soldier particularly building up and i've had people say gosh the events of yesterday because we're now talking on the 12th the events of yesterday meant much more to me having read your book so those those are the sort of the, the three main things are coming back to me uh, at the moment I think that's it. Like certainly for me, like going on all the research that we've kind of been a part of, like that you do as you learn more about all the people that are involved and the story behind it, you do come, you know, you come more personally kind of invested in it, and you do find the you do you do find more meaning in it, as it were. And do you think yeah. that's sorry? Go on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say uh, one of the other things you you sort of talked to me about before was the importance and the relevance today of the the unknown warrior, and. I got fascinated in the subject. I wanted to int- interest other people in the subject. Uh, so I, I did it through uh, the form of fiction. But, it, but obviously there's a lot of fact in with the fiction. 
but but I do feel it's still very relevant. It, it was interesting seeing the the television coverage yesterday, and you know, and they'd cut to different parts of the country. And you saw not only old people, but young people as well, standing there, the two-minute silence. And so I think, you know, the story does live on. And, of course, the unknown soldier, you know, represents those who went missing, but also represents every soldier who's died abroad, particularly, um, over the centuries. And, and, you know, we've had the recent uh, army fighting in Afghanistan and um, in uh, the Balkans, um, in Iraq. So, you know, it, it still holds that resonance thing. I think it's still a very powerful, iconic symbol, isn't it? It is indeed. It is indeed. And that's what been one of the nicest things, actually, is seeing how people are still deeply connected to it today and how relevant it is today, just as much as it was 100 years ago. It's continued to have that mystique. And the interest is still there in the story and in, in how it was created and as what it means to the nation. But thank you very much for for coming on the podcast, Robert. Really appreciate you speaking to us. And having read the book myself, I would recommend uh, The Name Beneath the Stone, The Secret of the Unknown Warrior to anybody who's interested in the story. So um, thanks very much for your time today. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed talking to you. Cheers. Cheers.